0: Chapters One, Two, and Three of Gretchen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. Chapter One The Telegram. Brevet House, New York, October sixth, eighteen hundred blank to mr frank tracy of tracy park shannondale i arrived in the scotia this morning and shall take the train for shannondale at three p m send someone to the station to meet us arthur tracy this was the telegram which the clerk in the shannondale office received one october morning and dispatched to the honourable frank tracy of tracy park in the quiet town of shannondale where our story opens mr frank tracy who since his election to the state legislature for two successive terms had done nothing except to attend political meetings and make speeches on all public occasions had an office in town where he usually spent his mornings smoking reading the papers and talking to mr colvin his business agent and lawyer for though born in one of the humblest new england houses where the slanting roof almost touched the ground in the rear and he could scarcely stand upright in the chamber where he slept mr frank tracy was a man of leisure now and as he dashed along the turnpike in his handsome carriage with his driver beside him people looked admiringly after him and pointed him out to strangers as the honourable mr tracy of tracy park one of the finest places in the county it is true it did not belong to him but he had lived there so long that he looked upon it as his while his neighbors too seemed to have forgotten that there was a mr arthur tracy who might at any time come home to claim his own and demand an account of his brother's stewardship and it was this arthur tracy whose telegram announcing his return from europe was read by his brother with feelings of surprise and consternation not that everything isn't fair and above board and he is welcome to look into matters as much as he likes frank said to himself as he sat staring at the telegram while the cold chills ran up and down his back and arms yes he can examine all colvin's books he will find them straight as a string and didn't he tell me to take what i thought right as remuneration for looking after his property while he was gallivanting over the world and if he objects that i have taken too much i can at once transfer those investments in my name to him no it is not that which affects me so It is the suddenness of the thing, coming without warning, and to-night of all nights, when the house will be full of carousing and champagne. What will Dolly say? Hysterics, of course, if not a sick headache. I don't believe I can face her till she has had a little time to brace up. Here, boy, I want you. And he rapped on the window at a young lad who happened to be passing with a basket on his arm. I want you to do an errand for me. He continued as the boy entered the office and, removing his cap, stood respectfully before him. Take this telegram to Mrs. Tracy, and here is a dime for you. Thank you, but I don't care for the money, the boy said. I was going to the park anyway to tell Mrs. Tracy that Grandma is sick and can't go there tonight. Sick? What is the matter? Mr. Tracy asked in dismay, feeling that here was a fresh cause of trouble and worry for his wife. "'She catched cold yesterday, fixing up mother's grave,' the boy replied. And as if the mention of that grave had sent Mr. Tracy's thoughts straying backward to the past, he looked thoughtfully at the child for a moment and then said, "'How old are you, Harold?' Ten last August,' was the reply, and Mr. Tracy continued. "'You do not remember your mother?' "'No, sir, only a great crowd and grandma crying so hard,' was Harold's reply." you look like her mr tracy said yes sir harold answered while into his frank open face there came an expression of regret for the mother who had died when he was three years old and whose life had been so short and sad now hurry off with the telegram and mind you don't lose it it is from my brother he is coming to-night mr arthur tracy who sent the monument for my mother is he coming home oh i'm so glad harold exclaimed his face lighting up with joy as he put the telegram in his pocket and started for tracy park wondering if he should encounter tom and thinking that if he did and tom gave him any chaff he should thresh him or try to darn him he said to himself as he recalled the many times when tom tracy a boy about his own age had laughed at him for his poverty and coarse clothes he ain't any better than i am if he does wear velvet trousers and live in a big house tain't his'n it's mr arthur's and i'm glad he is coming home i wonder if he will bring grandma anything i wish he'd bring me a pyramid he's seen em they say meantime mr frank tracy had resumed his seat and with his hands clasped over his head was wondering what effect his brother's return would have upon him would he be obliged to leave the park and the luxury he had enjoyed so long and go back to the old life which he hated so much no arthur will never be so mean he said he has always shown himself generous and will continue to do so besides that he will want somebody to keep the house for him unless and here the perspiration started from every pore as frank tracy thought what if he is married and the us in his telegram means a wife instead of a friend or servant as i imagined that would indeed be a calamity for then his reign was over at tracy park and the party he and his wife were to give that night to at least three hundred people would be their last confound the party he thought as he rose from his chair and began to pace the room arthur won't like that as a greeting after eleven years absence He never fancied being cheek-by-jowl with Tom, Dick, and Harry. And that is just what the smash is tonight. Dolly wants to please everybody thinking to get me votes for Congress, and so she has invited all creation and his wife. There's old Peterkin, the roughest kind of a canal bummer when Arthur went away. Think of my fastidious brother shaking hands with him and widow Shipley, who kept a low tavern on the towpath she'll be there in her silks and long gold chain for she has four boys all voters who call me frank and slap me on the shoulder ugh even i hate it all and in a most perturbed state of mind the would-be congressman continued to walk the room lamenting the party and wondering what his aristocratic brother would say to such a crowd in his house on the night of his return and if there should be a mrs arthur tracy with possibly some little tracys but that idea was too horrible to contemplate and he tried to put it from his mind and to be as calm and quiet as possible until lunch-time when with no very great amount of alacrity and cheerfulness he started for home chapter two arthur tracy although it was a morning in october the grass in the park was as green as in early june while the flowers in the beds and borders the geraniums the phlox the stalks and verbenas were handsomer if possible than they had been in the summer time for the rain which had fallen almost continually during the month of september had kept them fresh and bright here and there the scarlet and golden tints of autumn were beginning to show on the trees but this only added a new charm to a place which was noted for its beauty and was the pride and admiration of the town and yet mrs frank tracy who stood on the wide piazza looking after a carriage which was moving down the avenue which led through the park to the highway did not seem as happy as the mistress of that house ought to have been standing there in the clear crisp morning with a silken wrapper trailing behind her a coquettish french cap on her head and costly jewels on her short fat hands which once were not as white and soft as they are now for mrs frank tracy as dorothy smith had known what hard labor and poverty meant and slights too because of the poverty and labor her mother was a widow sickly and lame and dorothy in her girlhood had worked in the cotton mills at langley and bound shoes for the firm of newell and brothers and rebelled at the fate which had made her so poor and seemed likely to keep her so but there was something better in store for her than binding shoes or working in the mills and from the time when young frank tracy came to langley as clerk in the newell firm dorothy's life was changed and her star began to rise they both sang in the choir standing side by side and sometimes using the same book and once their hands met as both tried to turn the leaves together dorothy's were red and rough and not nearly as delicate as those of frank who had been in the store all his life and still there was a magnetism in their touch which sent a thrill through the young man's veins and made him for the first time look critically at his companion she was very pretty he thought with bright black eyes a healthful bloom and a smile and blush which went straight to his heart and made him her slave at once in three months time they were married and commenced housekeeping in a very unostentatious way for frank had nothing but his salary to depend upon but he was well connected and boasted some blue blood which in dorothy's estimation made amends for lack of money the tracys of boston were his distant relatives and he had a rich bachelor uncle who spent his winters in new orleans and his summers at tracy park on which he had lavished fabulous sums of money from this uncle frank had expectations though naturally the greater part of his fortune would go to his godson and namesake arthur tracy who was frank's elder brother and as unlike him as one brother could well be unlike another arthur was scholarly in his tastes and quiet and gentlemanly in his manners and though subject to moods and fits of abstraction and forgetfulness which won for him the reputation of being a little queer he was exceedingly popular with everyone. frank was very proud of his brother and with dorothy felt that he was honored when six months after their marriage he came for a day or so to visit them and with him his intimate friend harold hastings an englishman by birth but so thoroughly americanized as to pass unchallenged for a native there was a band of crape on arthur's hat and his manner was like one trying to be sorry while conscious of an inward feeling of resignation if not content the rich uncle had died suddenly and the whole of his vast fortune was left to his nephew arthur not a farthing to frank not even the mention of his name in the will and when dorothy heard it she put her white apron over her face and cried as if her heart would break they were so poor she and frank and they wanted so many things and the man who could have helped them was dead and had left them nothing it was hard and she might not have made the young heir very welcome if he had not assured her that he would do something for her husband and he kept his word and bought out a grocery in langley and put frank in it and paid the mortgage on his house and gave him a thousand dollars and invited dolly to visit him and then it would seem as if he forgot them entirely for with his friend harold he settled himself at tracy park and played the role of the grand gentleman to perfection few ladies ever called at the house for with two or three exceptions arthur held himself aloof from the people of shannondale it was said however that sometimes when he and his friend were alone there was the sound of music in the parlour where sweet amy crawford daughter of the housekeeper played and sang her simple ballads for the two gentlemen who treated her with as much deference as if she had been a queen instead of a poor young girl dependent for her bread upon her own and her mother's exertions but beyond the singing in the twilight amy never advanced and so far as her mother knew she had never for a single instant been alone with either of the gentlemen how then was the household electrified one morning when it was found that amy had fled and that harold hastings was the companion of her flight i wanted to tell you amy wrote to her mother in the note left on her dressing-table i wanted to tell you and be married at home but mr hastings would not allow it it would create trouble he said between himself and mr tracy who i may confess to you in confidence asked me twice to be his wife and when i refused he was so angry and behaved so strangely and there was such a look in his eyes that i was afraid of him and it was this fear i think which made me willing to go away secretly with harold and be married in new york we are going to europe shall sail to-morrow morning at nine o'clock in the scotia the marriage ceremony will be performed before we go on board I shall write as soon as we reach Liverpool. You must forgive me, mother, and I am sure you would if you knew how much I love Mr. Hastings. I know he is poor, and that I might be mistress of Tracy Park, but I love Harold best. It is ten o'clock, and the train passes at eleven, so I must say good-bye. Yours lovingly, Amy. This letter Mrs. Crawford found upon entering her daughter's room after waiting more than an hour for her appearance at the breakfast, which they always took by themselves to say that she was shocked and astonished would but faintly portray the state of her mind as she read that her beautiful young daughter had gone with harold hastings whom she had never liked for though he was handsome and agreeable and gentlemanly as a rule she knew him to be thoroughly selfish and indolent and she trembled for amy's happiness when a little time had quenched the ardour of his passion added to this was another thought which made her brain reel for a moment arthur tracy had wished to make amy his wife and the mistress of tracy park which she would have graced so well for in all the town there was not a fairer sweeter girl than amy crawford or one better beloved but it was too late now there was no turning back the wheels of fate and forcing herself to be as calm as possible she took the note to arthur who was waiting impatiently in the library for the appearance of his friend lazy dog mrs crawford heard him say as she approached the open door does he think he has nothing to do but to sleep we were to start by this time and he in bed yet are you speaking of mr hastings mrs crawford asked as she stepped into the room yes was his haughty reply as if he resented the question and her presence there he could be very proud and stern when he felt like it and one of these moods was on him now but mrs crawford did not heed it and sinking into a chair she began i came to tell you of mr hastings and amy i found this note in her room she has gone to new york with him they took the eleven o'clock train last night they are to be married this morning and sail for europe For a moment Arthur Tracy stood looking at her, while his face grew white as ashes, and into his dark eyes there came a gleam like that of a madman. "'Amy, gone with Harold, my friend,' he said at last. "'Gone to be married. Traitors, both of them. Curse them. If he were here I'd shoot him like a dog. And she—I believe I would kill her, too.' He was walking the floor rapidly, and to Mrs. Crawford it seemed as if he really were unsettled in his mind. He talked so incoherently, and acted so strangely. "'What else did she say?' he asked suddenly, stopping and confronting her. "'You have not told me all. Did she speak of me? Let me see the note.' And he held his hand for it. For a moment Mrs. Crawford hesitated, but as he grew more and more persistent, she gave it to him, and then watched him as he read it, while the veins on his forehead began to swell until they stood out like a dark blue network against his otherwise pallid face. "'Yes,' he said between his teeth, "'I did ask her to be my wife, and she refused, and with her soft, kittenish ways made me more in love with her than ever, and more her dupe.' i never suspected harold and when i told him of my disappointment for i never kept a thing from him he laughed at me for losing my heart to my housekeeper's daughter i could have knocked him down for his sneer at amy and i wish now i had he does not mean to marry your daughter madam but if he does not i will kill him he was certainly mad and mrs crawford shrank away from him as from something dangerous and going to her room took her bed in a fit of frightful hysterics This was followed by a state of nervous prostration, and for a few days she neither saw nor heard of nor inquired for Mr. Tracy. At the end of the fourth day, however, she was told by the housemaid that he had that morning packed his valise, and without a word to anyone had taken the train for New York. A week went by, and then there came a letter from him which was as follows. New York, May, blank, 18, blank. Mrs. Crawford i am off for europe to-morrow and when i shall return is a matter of uncertainty they are married or at least i suppose so for i found a list of the passengers who sailed in the scotia and the names mr and mrs hastings were in it so that saves me from breaking the sixth commandment as i should have done if he had played amy false i may not make myself known to them but i shall follow them and if he harms a hair of her head i shall shoot him yet my brother frank is to live at tracy park that will suit his wife and as you will not care to stay with her i send you a deed of that cottage in the lane by the wood where the gardener now lives it is a pretty little place and amy liked it well we used to meet there sometimes and more than once i have sat with her on that seat under the elm tree and it was there i asked her to be my wife alas i loved her so much and i could have made her so happy but that is past and i can only watch her at a distance When I have anything to communicate, I will write again. Yours truly, Arthur Tracy. P.S. Take all the furniture in your room and Amy's and whatever else you need for your house. I shall tell Colvin to give you a thousand dollars, and when you want more, let him know. I shall never forget that you are Amy's mother. That was Arthur's letter to Mrs. Crawford, while to his brother he wrote, Dear Frank, I am going to Europe for an indefinite length of time why i go it matters not to you or any one i go to suit myself and i want you to sell out your business in langley and live at tracy park where you can see to things as if they were your own you will find everything straight and square for colvin is honest and methodical he knows all about the bonds and mortgages and stocks so you cannot do better than to retain him in your service overseeing matters yourself of course and drawing for your salary what you think right and necessary for your support and for keeping up the place as it ought to be kept up i enclose a power of attorney when i want money i shall call upon colvin i may be gone for years and perhaps for ever i shall never marry and when i die what i have will naturally go to you we have not been much like brothers for the past few years but i don't forget the old home in the mountains where we were boys together and played and quarrelled and slept under the roof where the blankets were hung to keep the snow from sifting through the rafters upon our bed and frank do you remember the bitter mornings when the thermometer was below zero and we performed our ablutions in the woodshed and the black eye you gave me once for telling mother that you had not washed yourself at all it was so cold She sent you from the table and made you go without your breakfast, and we had ham and johnny-cake toast that morning, too. That was long ago, and our lives are different now. There are marble basins with silver chains and stoppers at Tracy Park, and you can have a hot bath every day, if you like, in a room which would not shame Caracalla himself. And I know you will like it, and Dolly, too. But don't make fools of yourselves. Be quiet and modest, and act as if you had always lived at Tracy Park. Be kind to Mrs. Crawford, who is a lady in every sense of the word. And now, good-bye. I shall write occasionally, but not often. Your brother, Arthur Tracy. Chapter 3 Mr. and Mrs. Frank Tracy mr frank in his small grocery at langley was weighing out a pound of butter for the widow simpson who was haggling with him about the price when his brother's letter was brought to him by the boy who swept his store and did errands for him but frank was too busy just then to read it there was a circus in the village that day and it brought the country people into the town in larger numbers than usual naturally many of them paid frank a visit in the course of the morning so that it was not until he went home to his dinner that he thought of the letter which was finally brought to his mind by his wife's asking if there were any news mrs frank was always inquiring for and expecting news but she was not prepared for what this day brought her neither was her husband and when he read his brother's letter which he did twice to assure himself that he was not mistaken He sat for a moment perfectly bewildered and stared at his wife who was putting his dinner upon the table. "'Dolly!' he gasped at last when he could speak at all. "'Dolly, what do you think?' "'Just listen. "'Arthur is going to Europe to stay forever, perhaps, and has left us Tracy Park. "'We are going there to live, and you will be as grand a lady as Mrs. Atherton of Briar Hill or that young girl at Collingwood.' dolly had a platter of ham and eggs in her hand and she never could tell though she often tried to do so what prevented her from dropping the whole upon the floor she did spill some of the fat upon her clean tablecloth she put the dish down so suddenly and then sinking into a chair she demanded what her husband meant was he crazy or what not a bit of it he replied recovering himself and beginning to realize the good fortune which had come to him we are rich people dolly read for yourself and he passed her the letter which she seemed to understand better than he had done why yes she said we are going to tracy park to live but that doesn't make us rich it is not ours i know that her husband replied but we shall enjoy it all the same and hold our heads with the best of them besides don't you see arthur gives me carte blanche as to pay for my services and though i shall do right it is not in human nature that i should not feather my nest when i have a chance some of that money ought to have been mine i shall sell out at once if i can find a purchaser and if i can't i shall rent the grocery and move out of this hole double quick his ideas were growing faster than those of his wife who was attached to langley and its people and shrank a little from the grand life opening before her she had once spent a few days at tracy park as arthur's guest and had felt great restraint even in the presence of mrs crawford and amy whom she recognized as ladies notwithstanding their position in the house on that occasion she had with her brother-in-law been invited to dine at briar hill the country-seat of mrs grace atherton where she had been so completely overawed that she did not know what half the dishes were or what she was expected to do but by watching arthur and declining some things which she felt sure were beyond her comprehension she managed tolerably well though when the dinner was over and she could breathe freely again she found that the back of her new silk gown was wet with perspiration which had oozed from every pore during the hour and a half she had sat at the table such falderal, she said to a friend to whom she was describing the dinner such falderal changing your plates all the time eating peas in the winter with nothing under the sun with them and drinking coffee out of a cup about as big as a thimble give me the good old-fashioned way i say with peas and potatoes and meat and things and cups that will hold half a pint and have some thickness that you can feel in your mouth and now she was to exchange the good old-fashioned way for what she termed falderall and for a time she did not like it but her husband was so delighted and eager that he succeeded in impressing her with some of his enthusiasm and after he had returned to his grocery and her dishes were washed she removed her large kitchen apron and pulling down the sleeves of her dress went and stood before the mirror where she examined herself critically and not without some degree of complacency her hair was black and glossy or would be if she had time to care for it as it ought to be cared for her eyes were large and bright and perhaps in time she might learn to use them as mrs atherton used hers she is older than i am she said to herself there are crow tracks around her eyes and her complexion is not a bit better than mine was before i spoiled it with soap suds and stove heat and everything else then she looked at her hands but they were red and rough and the nails were broken and not at all like the nails which an expert has polished for an hour or more mrs atherton's diamond rings would be sadly out of place on dolly's fingers but time and abstinence from work would do much for them she reflected and after all it would be nice to live in a grand house ride in a handsome carriage and keep a hired girl to do the heavy work so on the whole she began to feel quite reconciled and to wonder how she ought to conduct herself in view of her future position she had intended going to the circus that night but she gave that up telling her husband that it was a second-class amusement anyway and she did not believe that either mrs atherton or the young lady at collingwood patronized such places so they stayed at home and talked together of what they should do at tracy park and wondered if it was their duty to ask all their langley friends to visit them mrs frank decided that it was she was not going to begin by being stuck up she said and when she left langley four weeks later every man woman and child of her familiar acquaintance in town had been heartily invited to call upon her at tracy park if ever they came that way frank had disposed of his business at a reasonable price and had rented his house with all the furniture except such articles as his wife insisted upon taking with her the bureau and bedstead and chairs which she and frank had bought together in springfield just before their marriage the boston rocker in which her old mother had sat until the day she died the cradle in which she had rocked her baby boy who was lying in the langley graveyard were dear to the wife and mother and though her husband told her she could have no use for them there was enough of sentiment in her nature to make her cling to them as something of the past and so they were boxed up and forwarded by freight to tracy park whither mr and mrs tracy followed them a week later the best dressmaker in langley had been employed upon the wardrobe of mrs frank who in her travelling dress of some stuffed goods of a plaited pattern too large and too bright to be quite in good taste felt herself perfectly au fait until she reached springfield where mrs grace atherton accompanied by a tall elegant-looking young lady entered the car and took a seat in front of her neither of the ladies noticed her but she recognized mrs atherton at once and guessed that her companion was the young lady from collingwood dolly scanned both the ladies very closely noticing every article of their costumes from their plain linen collars and cuffs to their quiet dresses of grey which seemed so much more in keeping with the dusty cars than her buff and purple plaid i ain't like them and never shall be she said to herself with a bitter sense of her inferiority pressing upon her i ain't like them and never shall be if i live to be a hundred i wish we were not going to be grand i shall never get used to it and the hot tears sprang to her eyes as she longed to be back in the kitchen where she had worked so hard but dolly did not know how readily people can forget the life of toil behind them and adapt themselves to one of luxury and ease and with her the adaptability commenced in some degree the moment Shannondale station was reached and she saw the handsome carriage waiting for them a carriage finer far and more modern than the one from collingwood in which mrs atherton and the young lady took their seats laughing and chatting so gaily that they did not see the woman in the big plaid who stood watching them with a rising feeling of jealousy and resentment because she was not noticed but when the tracy carriage drew up grace atherton saw and recognized her and whispered in an aside to her companion for goodness sake edith look there are the tracys our new neighbors then she bowed to mrs tracy and said ah i did not know you were on the train i sat right behind you was mrs tracy's rather ungracious reply and then not knowing whether she ought to do it or not she introduced her husband yes mr tracy how do you do was mrs atherton's response but she did not in return introduce the young girl whose dark eyes were scanning the strangers so curiously and this dolly took as a slight and inwardly resented but mrs atherton had spoken to her and that was something and helped to keep her spirits up as she was driven along the turnpike to the entrance of the park on the occasion of mrs frank's first and only visit to her brother-in-law it was winter and everything was covered with snow But it was summer now, the month of roses and fragrance and beauty, and as the carriage passed up the broad, smooth avenue which led to the house, and Dolly's eye wandered over the well-kept grounds, sweet with the scent of newly-mown grass, and filled with every adornment which taste can devise or money procure, she felt within her the first stirring of the pride and satisfaction and self-assertion which were to grow upon her so rapidly and transform her from the plain, unpretentious woman who had washed and ironed and baked and mended in the small house in langley into the arrogant haughty lady of fashion who courted only the rich and looked down upon her less fortunate neighbours now however she was very meek and humble and trembled as she alighted from the carriage before the great stone house which was to be her home isn't this grand dolly her husband said rubbing his hands together and looking about him complacently yes very grand Dolly answered him, But somehow it makes me feel weaker than water. I suppose, though, I shall get accustomed to it. End of Chapters one, two, and three.